If you two are South America, it's amazing. Colombia was my favorite. There's definitely aspects of other countries that I love, but yeah. narrowness sheer drops no guardrail and you have you have to drive through waterfalls there's no other option hello and welcome back to the motorcycle adventures podcast my name is john this is episode 55 and joining us today are sheldon and carrie Bradlow. They both had the luxury of spending some time riding through South America earlier this year and they had to contend with the the COVID-19 and being locked down and being in quarantine. So this will be a really interesting show. Listeners, remember if you get a second, please take a moment, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And without further ado, Sheldon and Carrie Bradlow. Okay. So you reached out to me, maybe it was a week week ago or so on Instagram and mentioned that you'd listened to episode 31, that crazy story of those guys riding the Pan America. And then you guys got uh, a little taste of it yourself. Uh, why don't you kind of walk our listeners through uh, what exactly or what portion of the route you were able to ride? Yeah. Due to the Darien Gap and shipping, there's a break in the road there between south of Panama and north of Colombia. And flights into Bogota, Colombia are pretty cheap. And if you have to fly there anyhow, or sail, I guess is another option, um, we chose just to fly basically to the top of South America into Colombia. So we flew into Bogota, and then we purchased some small Honda bikes there, and we rode um, probably three-quarters of South America until COVID stopped us. All right, very good. Can you talk to us a little bit about the bikes that you purchased for this particular ride? Uh, yeah, they're. Uh, I you know my first bike was a little Honda, a 1979 XL 100, and uh, every my brother, all my friends, myself, all of us abused that bike. I grew up on that bike. I rode it even in college after, and it has I think. Uh, 30,000 kilometers, uh, so 60% of that for miles, I guess, but enough. So that kind of gave us confidence to buy inexpensive bikes in South America. So we looked at actually more than more options than are available for um, North America, but we chose uh, some 190cc Hondas. They're fuel-injected, uh, little trail bikes, basically. So not not something that's available in the states, and you you said that there's actually more options down there than what we would see up here. Yeah, a lot more like knockoff options that I would say like TVSs and Heroes and uh, just jumble words words and letters together. And we saw it like there's all sorts. <laughs> all right. Well, considering that you rode you know three quarters of the length of South America, uh, how was it? riding a smaller displacement bike like that you know i think that's the the thing a lot of people are not 
in understanding uh, in North America, the roads and infrastructure, it's well engineered, it's thought out, it's built for speed, the roads are straight, the landscapes are open. Uh, a lot of South America is not that way. Um, I don't think we actually needed more power until we got to uh, realistically Chile and Argentina where the infrastructure is a little flatter, a little straighter. Like in Colombia, the the roads and the twistiness, if you get 60 kilometers an hour, that's you're doing good. Fair enough. Sounds like the right tool for the job. So I, I got an Instagram question from a listener, and I'm not totally familiar with the situation, but you have a photo on your feed where you're in front of uh, Pablo Escobar's estate, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, so his... If I understand it right, his entire property where his kind of original estate has been taken over by the government, and uh, it's massive. Um, and that sign and that plane was out front of his property, um, you know, back when Pablo owned it. And they've moved it back and they've kind of pushed anything Escobar related into sort of a far corner you really we almost missed it driving through yeah it's a giant park um that's like zoo with amusement rides it's for the kids it's somewhere you can take your family but they it's not good history for columbia um and you know you you see the narcos and there's that kind of hollywood effect to it you know he made a lot of money he did this and that but you you get disconnected in, I guess, the the killings and so forth on TV. It's just on TV. They're actors. But when you're there and you see it in the real photos and, the, you know, there's like a 1970 Ford truck that had oh, eight coffins in it. It was piled high. You know, it's it's it sinks in a little more when it's a real photo and you see that horror in people's faces. And you, it changed my opinion. Yeah, you're you're right. I've watched the. I definitely watched that narco series on Netflix, and uh, yeah, Hollywood has a way of putting a a real sexy spin on things, but the reality is quite a bit different, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. But on a good side, it's created kind of a tourism for. We wanted to go see it. We paid, so it's created kind of a narco tourism actually in Colombia for for people, locals, and tourists alike. Okay, and yeah, that was kind of that was kind of the question you mentioned. It had been moved. the uh, The person in question had asked where where that was because they had heard it had been moved. So, thanks for clarifying. Yeah, so it was right on the side of the highway. Uh, you could see, I think, the original pilings where it was set. <clears throat> and we planned to go there and take a photo and see if it was worth it going through the park uh, of the sign. Then we realized, oh, that sign's been moved inside the park. Uh, so we chose to check it out. So we went in. Okay, very good. Now, if I could for a second, I'd like to rewind and, and ask how the both of you ultimately come to the decision that you're going to fly into Columbia, was it? And start this adventure on some motorcycles. I guess I'll take that one. Um, so there's been this whole, in the last few years, van life kind of um 
you see in YouTube, you see out there on Instagram. And we kind of were intrigued by, we've always enjoyed traveling and we were intrigued. You know, we started following people that were, were living that life. And initially our plan was to um, purchase a van and go from Canada and go all the way down to the bottom. And then we started looking into it logistically again, like Sheldon said, with the Darien Gap and stuff. And we realized, okay, maybe a van, if we're going to customize it to what we want, that might not be the best idea afterwards, resale, et cetera, et cetera. So then we kind of moved on to another plan of um, taking our own truck and this and that. And again, the Darien Gap always came as an issue with expense and, and stuff like that. So we've always ridden. I shouldn't say always. Sheldon's always been on bikes. I've been on bikes since I met him, and we enjoy being on bikes. So we're, that's where we came to the idea of why don't we just fly to Bogota, purchase bikes down there. Um, we did a lot of reading online of different people to be able to find out where it would be easiest to be able to purchase motorcycles as Canadians, because I don't think all of the countries in South America, it's quite as easy. And plus, the idea of being able to start at the top and work our way down was kind of why we chose to start in Colombia. And overall, the process of, of purchasing motorcycles in Colombia, I it was it was so simple. Ah, that's good to know for our listeners. Speaking of the van life, I watch plenty of those videos myself on YouTube and the builds. It's it's amazing what they can do. I'm just not sure how long I could live in a van. The travel the travel portion of it looks amazing but uh, at the end of the day you're still living in a very confined space i'm not sure if that's for me and for us it would have always just been a temporary thing like we weren't willing to to live the van life permanently because we always knew we wanted to come back to canada like it was it was just meant as a short-term travel and come home kind of thing so so you get to columbia you get your motorcycles and you're on your way what's that first day like what's that feeling like it was nerve wracking. We're we're quite confident on motorcycles. We've raced them on the ice. We've raced them down in Mexico, and they lane split and squeeze shoulders, and they drive down there. So it was a little bit. So we intended to leave. What was it? Six a.m. the first morning, just to avoid some traffic. just to avoid some traffic. And I think we were lane splitting by six o three. But yeah, once you get used to it, oh, it is great. You don't have to pay at tolls. There's a little sidewalk lane that the motorcyclists go through. Um, speed bumps, you can go around the side while all the cars are buying a drink or a banana or coconuts or whatever their street vendors are selling. So you can just slice through traffic uh, like a hot knife through butter. And you probably... You probably weren't carrying much, right? I mean, what, what did you guys have with you when you started the trip? Um, we took everything down. So we we purchased um, two Moscomoto Reckless 80 systems. Okay. And then we overstuffed them to probably be our own version of, a what, a Reckless 130 or something. <laughs> yeah, but we, ha we had everything. We had a camp stove. We had a four-person tent. Uh, we had a four-inch thick queen-size air mattress. Uh, we had two French presses with us. Um, we were, yeah, we had comfort items and everything we needed, little tool roll. Yeah, basically our priorities were as if we had to camp, we wanted to have a good night's sleep. And like Sean said, the French press, we wanted to be able to have coffee. <laughs> so those were 
the the priorities when we are thinking about what we wanted to bring with us. I got to I got to ask this question: Can you get great coffee down there in South America? So that's a that's an excellent question. The and it's really simple. And I hit, but we asked it too. Um, if you want to spend, you can get it. The coffee is almost like a cut of steak. Uh, the more you spend, the better you get. So we bought a bag of coffee in Colombia for a dollar, and we threw it out. It was that bad. Okay. <laughs> um, so then we realized, oh, we did a coffee tour in uh, was it Salento region? Salento, yeah. And it was pretty cool to see and witness the amount of work that goes into whereas us as north americans we just scoop it into the pot and don't even put second thought into how much time and effort has been put into picking those by hand and drying them roasting them and etc and i think something we did learn too and it was not just related to coffee but all of their example produce etc everything that they grow the top quality stuff is all exported so that that in the coffee situation, it was harder to find good coffee because while they're they're sending it all over the world elsewhere and they keep the, the lower quality stuff for themselves and that was the same to be seen for vegetables and fruits, etc. Um, it wasn't the best quality stuff, even though you're seeing it all grow in there and you're like, oh, it should be amazing. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, they export it because financially, that's what makes sense for them, so... So my assumption is you spent some time camping, you spent some time in hostels, hotels, or whatever. What was what was lodging like for you guys on a day-to-day basis? Climate usually stipulated if we would tent. Uh, if it was hot, a lot of days in lower elevation in Columbia, it was so sweltering hot coming out of Canadian winters to Columbia um, was a shock. So we would find an inexpensive hostel or hotel with air conditioning being priority number one. And yeah, what, uh, while I'm thinking about it, what time of year did you start this anyway, or what month did you start this? We left Canada January 15th, just in time to get away from the winter that we had already got to experience. We had hoped actually to leave earlier, but just the way things worked out, we didn't get away any earlier. And had we left earlier, we would have probably avoided covid but uh but i yeah the timing just worked out better for us to leave mid-january so yeah i like to visit hawaii when it's winter here and we probably don't have the the brutal winters that you guys have up there but there's nothing like getting off the plane and it's 75 degrees and you look back home and it's you know 22 absolutely i agree with that any apprehension going into this um I, i got a question for you a little bit later about uh, a particular border crossing that I saw on your Instagram, but um, were you worried at all? Were you scared? Uh, I would say no. We are curious. You know, you're curious about the unknown, purchasing, insuring, um, getting those hurdles because we didn't. You know, without doing it, you don't know if you can get insurance as a someone from North America in Colombia. So I guess there was a little bit of questions and fear there, but. As far as purchasing a bike, if you have dollar bills, that happens pretty easily anywhere in the world, I think. It's the legal standpoints and those kind of rules. Uh, so other than, yeah, the, that, I didn't have any, did you? No, not really. I think, you know, Colombia, flying into Colombia first, to me, that was kind of the, the worst place, you know, that you hear about all the bad things about. So it was a little nerve-wracking at first, like, 
we didn't camp very much in Colombia just because a there wasn't a lot of place that we could and b it was Colombia so do you really want to be down a back road camping in Colombia so there was a little bit of that um but I think overall our family and friends were more worried about us going than we were <laughs> oh, I actually bet, I bet. we're we're pretty easy going and and don't take things too seriously but at the same time we're very aware of our surroundings. So I think it was, we were more excited about the idea of the adventure than really thinking too much about what could go wrong. If you reflect on the trip as a whole, um, question for both of you, what what was your favorite country? I would actually say Colombia. Um, it was the most surprising um, just because we didn't, we did some research before we started. We kind of picked, you know, points of interest that we wanted to hit. And then we kind of connected the dots on our journey. Um, but Colombia was one of those kind of wild card places where it was like, is it going to be great? Or is it, you know, you hear all these things about it. So you kind of wonder, is it going to be good or not? And it is absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's so lush. Like you just, the people were friendly. There was just, we made it up to the Caribbean part of it. So the beaches were beautiful up there. Um, yeah, I would say overall big picture of countries. Colombia was my favorite. There's definitely aspects of other countries that I loved, but yeah, overall Colombia. I would, uh, I don't disagree with anything that Carrie said, but I really enjoyed Argentina and we are just getting into the good spots. Um, it's got some some European influence. The economy is it's very inexpensive for food and drink and lodging. Um, it's in the mountains and the glaciers. It's uh, it's probably not too far off of where you live, John. Just at a quarter of the price. I've seen a lot of photos from the area. You're right. It is very reminiscent of that. I want to touch on something you mentioned there. The cost, if Someone wanted to basically replicate what you just did. What do you? What would you say that the you know cost per day might be, roughly? In Colombia, it was very very low. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, we haven't gone back. I I would want to say probably around eighty, eighty to ninety Canadian dollars. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, with gas and with hotel accommodation, I would say eighty ninety, and then. We were camped on the flip side of that. We had camped some nights in Argentina. What was it, four bucks a night? Yeah, there was some cheap camping spots in Argentina. Plus, we actually did a lot. Once we got into Argentina, there was a lot more open land to be able to free camp, too. And just yeah. being there, we felt safe. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the app iOverlander, but uh, we used that quite a bit just to, to get an idea of, if the location would be safe for us to camp in just, you know, most of the people using that app are in vehicles. So they have that security. Whereas with us being in our tents, we wanted to be a little more cautious. Um, so yeah, we definitely, Argentina was the one country that we did camp the most in out of all of them. Okay. I want to, um, touch on that border crossing that I've seen on your Instagram. You had a list of, of things that it took to get through this one particular, border i believe it was, were you trying to get into peru but it looked like it was 
pretty tough. Uh, if you want to walk us through that and uh, also, you know, was that the norm or was that the exception while you were going country to country? Uh, that was definitely the exception. Uh, overall, we had a little bit of, there's always a little bit of stress crossing or a few things you may have to do, but that one really proved to be difficult for something that seemed uh, trivial. Uh, the Both bikes ended up essentially, is it registered? Is that what yeah. You essentially registered in my name. and uh, The ownership, yeah. The ownership of the bikes. And that turned out to be a huge problem because Carrie is riding a bike that is registered in my name. So it doesn't seem like it should be a big deal. But um, yeah, after, well, you saw the list there, but I think it, in short was three days of getting different answers and getting different paperwork and wasting money. Uh, yeah, <laughs> 10 hours of backtracking to a, a Colombian consulate. I never thought I'd need to be at a World Trade Center to see a Colombian professional to say, yeah, you can ride that bike. Here's an official sticker and a piece of paper. Now go back the go back where you started from and present that and cross your fingers. Yeah. So if if anyone out there does want to purchase motorcycles in Colombia to do this, make sure you get the ownership put in your name, because <laughs> that would have saved us all of the hassle at that yeah. border crossing. So and going forward, we did have you know we had the question asked at several other borders of, you know, why, who is this or why isn't this in your name? But they were able to, at least at the other countries, they were able to make sense and say, oh, Sheldon is the person right here. Okay. If he gives Carrie permission to ride his motorcycle, then it's okay. Whereas in Peru, they, that was not the case. So yeah, it had to be approved by Colombia. Okay. No, that's going to be a good piece of advice moving forward for people that are going to go down there and uh adventure reflecting on the reflecting on the trip um did you guys have any issues with equipment or extreme weather or did you get lost or did you have any trouble like that uh we had a little bit of no we had almost no trouble with our little bikes at all uh we wore out chains and tires uh understandably and we got a flat tire which i foolishly thought well let's save our spare tube and just patch it and it turned out that it was looked like a porcupine had got into it after you get a yeah i had patched it and patched it and patched it so i think it was six tire changes to finally and then we couldn't find tubes uh things are hard to come by no matter what you need um in central america it's going to be hard to get sorry south america um it's going to be hard to get. Like buying a tube took us six hours in Uyuni and a lot and a lot of stops. And it turned out we bought an 18-inch tube and jammed it in a 17-inch tire and on off we went because that was the best we could do. Yeah. So I can imagine if you get down there and you have a mechanical on uh, you know, your KTM or BMW, you might be stalled out for a little bit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to say, nobody had parts in stock, right? So if you had something big go, you definitely would be, you know, sitting probably for up to 10 days, two weeks. Fortunately, we didn't have anything that that stopped us. Uh, Like Sheldon said, it was all just maintenance items. But yeah, if you 
if you had something big go, you would have trouble finding parts. Okay. Which, uh, like I was about to say, were you working up against a schedule or were you just kind of, uh, whenever we reached the end of this, we reached the end of this? So we did have a schedule. We had allocated four months um, just because I was able to get leave from work for four months. Sheldon's self-employed. So his schedule was a little more flexible, but um, because of my work, we had four months to be able to complete it. Okay. Um, again, reflecting on the trip, could both of you recall uh, perhaps the, the the best day you had while you were out there? Yeah, I would I think we probably have different days, um, but I really, really, we flew, this is not a motorcycle because we flew from Santiago over to Easter Island mm -hmm. and uh, Easter Island is amazing. Um, and I actually, I would probably, I would agree with that, but probably best day on the motorcycle and probably worst day on the motorcycle all on the same day was death road in, uh, in Bolivia. It was, absolutely incredible it was um the scenery was beautiful um that being said it was a you know it was a difficult ride and when you hear death road like the connotations that come with that but that being said a lot of the roads that we had already ridden before that were pretty gnarly and intense too so i think we had our me personally what i expected from death road and what was there wasn't quite the same level of, um, yeah, what, what you, what I expected it to be for hardness or difficult difficulty. But, um, it was also the worst day because it absolutely poured on us for part of it. And we froze to death getting back to La Paz. Like I, I was very fortunate that actually before we left, Sheldon bought me heated grips to be able to put on whatever bike we purchase down there so he had put heated grips on my bike because I my hands just are always cold and that was an absolute lifesaver that day Sheldon did not have them and he basically froze his hands and it wasn't even really that cold it's just you're up at the elevation and the rain and everything so it was absolutely beautiful um that's where Sheldon got all of his flat he got his flat tire too. So yeah. it was quite the adventure of a day. And I think that's probably why it was one of my favorite because it was just a bit of everything. And at the end of the day, we made it back to the hotel room and we had a good story to tell as we warmed up. So I think a lot of people have seen videos from the death road, but for those who haven't, I mean, what, what kind of gives it its namesake? What's so dangerous about that road? I would say it's probably it's narrowness. It's narrowness, sheer drops, no guardrail, and you have you have to drive through waterfalls. There's no other option. So if it's as wide as the sidewalk and there's a waterfall, normally you would go around it or try to stay dry or do whatever option if you wanted to chicken out. Whereas some of this, you have to drive through the center of the waterfall on a very narrow road that's all rocky and with sheer drops. But that's also what allures people in is because it is how often do you get to drive through a waterfall? It's amazing. I was going to say, I've never done that before. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Sheldon, when we were exchanging DMs last week, you, you made mention of uh, or you made a comment. And you said, you know, we have it pretty good in North America. Could you kind of expand on that thought and, and maybe tell us some of the things that you saw and how they compare to, to how we live up here? 
yeah being being born in in north america you take a lot of things for granted um obviously here and there we got lost and google maps redirects and you end up and most of our trip was actually not really on the Pan American, but trying to connect the dots of interests and spots we wanted to see. So we were on a lot of back roads that were actually riverbeds and through remote villages. Uh, and you get to see how little people live on. They don't have electricity. They, like you do not see a McDonald's because the economy can't afford it. Uh, expensive food items are not available hence the inexpensive coffee it's shipped out it's shipped out to countries that can pay top dollar for it um like i want i know this sounds silly but cheese you couldn't buy good cheese <laughs> anywhere or bacon or some of those more expensive food items so you just go without yeah the infrastructure that you know we take for granted too in north america you our roads are definitely a lot better. So we definitely were on some pretty sketchy roads. Um, and I think that would be one, you know, we knew that going into it, but you definitely, you know, all of a sudden you're on a highway and then it, it turns into a gravel road and you're like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing today. So it goes throughout everything too, like uh, construction. They don't have heavy heavy equipment typically down there professional survey equipment i don't think i've seen a lawnmower they use just weed whippers because it's kind of universal and yeah okay so you're on this journey right along probably not too many cares in the world and then this covid19 thing comes up um i'd be interested to know how how you you got the news I'm, I'm i'm curious if the news travels in some of these remote places as fast I'm, I'm guessing that it doesn't but what happens when you start to kind of get wind of that um so yeah basically we were in argentina when we heard about it um i can't even recall i want to say probably a friend or family member told us you know things are shutting down like you gotta you gotta come home or whatever and our plan was we were um, basically in Bariloche in Argentina, and our our plan next was to head over into Chile and start doing the Cartera Austral um, trail. And so when we started hearing about it, we were we were in a pretty sweet spot in Bariloche. Um, it's basically it's known as uh, South America's Switzerland, so it's beautiful. There's mountains, there's lakes. And we knew that if we um, went to Chile and we got stuck over there, that there wouldn't be nearly as much um, uh, infrastructure or businesses for us. And it would probably be not as nice of a place to be stuck. So what we ended up deciding was, okay, let's stay in Bariloche a couple days. We really didn't, like you said, we hadn't been following any of this. We did not realize totally the extent of it. We were like, oh, it'll blow over. It'll be okay. We'll, you know, we'll wait it out here. And then within a matter of one day, two days, everything had shut down in Argentina. And we were like, whoa, okay, I guess we really aren't going anywhere. Um, so the way it worked down there was as you... Um, 
if you had come into the country in less than two weeks, which we had, you had to quarantine for, for 14 days. So we were staying in a hotel and basically, uh, they on their grounds they had little cabins and so they were shutting all of the hotels were shutting down so they they said to us we can't keep you in the hotel but we'll relocate you to a cabin so that you can quarantine there for i think we had another 10 days to quarantine or something like that um so it started out like that and then we were able to run for supplies so we were able to go get some groceries and things to get us by and then uh we had to spend the 10 days just on that property. We were very fortunate that it was a large property. So we were able to go for walks, et cetera. Um, we just weren't able to actually leave the property. And then the last couple of days we were running low on food. So uh, the hotel went and bought us groceries. So we were, we were very fortunate. Our cabin out looked out over the lake. Like we were not roughing it by yeah. any means. <laughs> it was amazing actually. Uh, yeah. So if you had to quarantine, that would be the spot, huh? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, we had caught, and there's a lot of horror stories from people that were in more remote towns and smaller towns. And yeah, they were stuck and and viewed as an outsider and viewed as uh, having a disease. Yeah, I can uh, I can't imagine. So you you go through the quarantine, and obviously at some point you're able to get back home. But what's that what's that timeline look from you being quarantined for 14 days to ultimately getting on a a plane? Um, So after our 14 day quarantine um, in, and in the meantime, you know, we still kind of had it in our mind that this was maybe going to blow over and, you know, maybe we don't have to go home or whatnot. And our family was telling us, no, you need to come home. And they didn't understand that we couldn't even if we wanted to, because we were in that quarantine and Bariloche is a smaller city. So ultimately, to be able to leave there, we had to get to Buenos Aires. And that was over the two weeks throughout our quarantine. And, and even a few days after, there was a lot of back and forth on, you know, do we, what do we do? Do we ride our bikes to Buenos Aires? But there was roadblocks and everything in every direction that you could possibly go. And, you know, we were following a lot of uh, social media and um, Facebook groups that we were a part of and people trying and they couldn't. And so we had a lot of back and forth on, you know, what do we do? And at the end of the day, um, must love social media, but uh, I was part of a Facebook group and I just put it out there and I said, is there anyone in the Bariloche area that knows where we could store our motorcycles while we go home to Canada? And this gentleman, he answered and a long story short, he had space for us. So our bikes are right now in Bariloche still in storage. Um, he, he had enough room to jam them in between a fence and a, and shed. a storage shed. So that's where our bikes are right now um, because we do want to go back and finish our trip. So once we had them stored, uh, we had a bit of a back and forth um, finding logistics to be able to get to Buenos Aires. But at the end of the day, we caught a flight got to Buenos Aires. Um, we were there for what, five or six days? Yeah, about that. Before we were um, able to catch a repatriation flight back to Canada. Okay. So ultimately, you're going to go back and, and finish this out. And I don't know how much of it you have left. But when you do go back, are you going to do anything differently? 
I'm going to take a sheepskin for my seat. <laughs> Other than that, no, actually, we thought about that. And that's really it. A bit of seat comfort, and that's all we needed. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, both of you, biggest takeaway from this experience? I think, uh, I think it, it, in short, and this is kind of vague, but South America is amazing. No matter what route you trip or what roads you take, if you just tour South America, I would recommend via motorcycle. If you tour South America, it's amazing. I guess for me, just in general, is yeah, don't don't be afraid. I think so many people uh, don't travel because of the unknowns or because of you know what they hear about places. And I think if you if you're smart about things and in this world that we live in now with the internet and social media and there is so many resources out there to be able to find out people have been there, done that already, and they're talking about it. So I think if you, you know, do a little bit of research and there's, I don't want to say no part of the world that you can't go, but I think the world is available for everyone to see. And I think you just need to sometimes not be scared and just go for it. All right. Great answers. Um, did this experience change either of you? I think it showed me on how privileged we were and on how we're terrible at collecting things we don't need. Mm. From kitchen gadgets to... Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and how... Um, like we talked about our gear, you know, uh, set a, a, a carry-on backpack we had with us, uh, camping gear, a small thing of tools, some rain gear, and I never felt without. I never thought, oh, you know, I really wish I had this or I really wish I had that. So whatever we could carry on a motorcycle is enough to live with. And I would, I would agree with that sentiment, yeah. Uh, you don't need a lot to get by and it's definitely, you know, we had actually before this trip tried to, to simplify things in our life and, and downsize. And I think after spending two months on a motorcycle, it really puts it into perspective on, on yeah, how, how we just need things in our life and, and are they really all necessary? Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, do you think, do either of you think that this changed your relationship at all with each other? I, I don't think so. Um, we've, we've been together for a long time and it's just the two of us. So we spend a lot of time just doing things together. We're very fortunate that we enjoy a lot of the same activities. So I, yeah, I, I don't know that it changed our relationship. I think it's, you know, I feel like we had a strong relationship before we went and there were, I, I can't think of too many days where, we fought about anything. So I, yeah, I don't know if anything, I guess you could say it made it stronger just because, you know, it reamplified the fact that, okay, we can hang out with each other for two months, 24 seven, you know, when, when COVID hit and everyone was talking about, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be stuck with my spouse. It's like, well, we've been doing that for the last two months. So I guess it's nothing different for us. <laughs> yeah. It definitely created some good memories. 
And that, my friends, is what it is all about. Sheldon, Carrie, thank you for sharing your memories with us. Listeners, if you want to follow along with Sheldon and Carrie and their adventures, because it sounds like they're going back at Sheldon Bradlow and at Carrie Bradlow, both on Instagram. Listeners, we've got another episode coming out this Monday, and this time it will be Joe Rust. And although Joe Rust needs no introduction, I'll go ahead and give you one. She is the first woman to ride around Africa solo. No small feat. She's a brand ambassador for KTM, and she also is an author. She wrote a book about her travels around Africa. So, amazing guest, and again, Joe will be on the show this upcoming Monday. The following Monday, we'll have a dork in the road. That's at a dork in the road on Instagram. He's a Pacific Northwest native, actually lives in Oregon, rides all the time, and he's got a YouTube channel. He's a great YouTube creator, so don't forget to check him out there, but he will be on the following Monday. And then the Monday after, I believe I have Aaron Long coming on, another Pacific Northwest native who loves to ride adventures. So that's what's on tap coming up. As always, remember, if you get a chance, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it out. We love to grow this thing. And uh, I'm out of here. We'll see you guys next Monday with uh, Joe Rust. Joe Rust.